Welcome back, listeners, to Riddles in the Dark, the only Hobbit-related podcast you need to be listening to these days, because it is the best. <laughs> the place to come to hear the most intelligent, most insightful uh, discussion, and also the most unrelated non-sequitur banter you can get. <laughs> I'm your I'm your I'm your co-host Dave Kale and with me as always is uh the Tolkien professor Corey Olson and Trish Lambert and today we are talking the one the the thing that probably everybody really really wants to chat about and that's that's right bromances specifically <laughs> hobbit dwarf bromances and specifically um Bilbo and Thorin one thing that either everyone it's, it seems to be one of the things that from the first film that people either absolutely loved or people or the the book purists were abs- were completely infuriated by um, why they were such good friends by the end, by that point in the book that's way too early in the story so but uh, we thought it was one of the most interesting parts and especially because we I think we immediately started speculating after after the film came out about how they were going to handle the evolution of their friendship through the next two films. So that will be the focus for today, at least uh, their, the evolution of their friendship through the second film. Right, Corey? That's right. Okay, so, <clears throat> yeah, that was, a, that was an excellent intro, Dave. You know? Thank you. Welcome <laughs> to Riddles in the Dark, where digressions are superlative. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, so the, Bilbo's relationship with the dwarves, of course, you know, the fact that some of this is changing in the films is one of the, the sort of inescapable consequences of one of the changes which was so inevitable uh, when Peter Jackson made the film. And this is, you know, something we've touched on many times before, that, of course, one of the major challenges, one of the things that primarily inhibited him from the idea of doing The Hobbit for a long time is what do you do with these 13 largely undifferentiated dwarves? And so in the book, of course, you've got most of the dwarves are almost complete non-entities. We know some information about whom they're connected to. That is, we have familial relationships among some of the dwarves, um, giving them some kind of identity. But other than that, very few of them uh, have much in the way of personality, um, and obviously they are infused with a great deal of, in fact, largely over-the-top personality in order to make them differentiable. Uh, and that was, I think, one of the things that Jackson really did superlatively well in the first film, um, was to take this gang of dwarves and make them all memorable. Uh, to you know, I would not have expected... Um, how well he succeeded in, you know, bringing us by the end of the first film to be able to say, you know, when you see a dwarf, you know, briefly in a crowd to be like, there's Nori. I mean, like, I never would have expected to be recognizing Nori in a crowd um, <laughs> because in the book, Nori is, as I say, is an almost perfect non-entity. And again, this is, you know, I want to make it clear when I say that, that I'm not criticizing uh, uh, Tolkien's choice or saying that that was inept on Tolkien's part. It was a deliberate choice. Uh, in fact, as I've said before, it's something that you can see as he revised The Hobbit, something that he deliberately increased, um, that he reduced the total number of speaking lines by other dwarves and really drew the focus instead to just a few of them as sort of a representative sample of the dwarves and invited us to get to know them. Um, so one of the things that we can see, so I, you know, one, as, 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 as usual, you know, this segment of the show is, you know, my little book review. Uh, so what I want to kind of go over here first is 
sort of the status of these different dwarves in the book, and in particular their relationship with Bilbo. And there are really three of them, with the you know, other than Thorin, with whom Bilbo has any sort of persistent relationship in the book. There's Feely and Keeley, um, and I, I'm not actually counting them as among the three. Um, they're on a kind of a separate level because there, there is they do come in for you know private reference in the in the book. That is, they, they get lines uh, and they do stuff on their own. They're you know they're 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 singled out, but they don't. We don't get a really strong sense of their personality. There is a sense in which because they're younger, they are connected with Bilbo. Bilbo is like you know, the junior member of the party, even though he's not necessarily physically young, you know, greatly younger uh, proportionally to the dwarves. Um, nevertheless, he's very much like the junior partner. And so the Feely and Keeley being very much the junior members of the party uh, of the dwarves have seemed to have, a, you know, a kind of, uh, a kind of camaraderie with Bilbo. Um, uh, for that reason, and we and we see them kind of working shoulder to shoulder with Bilbo uh, in ways that um, that they that that we don't necessarily see the other dwarves doing. Like when Bilbo is working with them to, he, they're the first dwarves that he frees from the spiders, and they work with him to help free the rest of them from the spiders. They are the ones who help him. Uh, Thorin has to be bullied into it, but Feely and Keely cheerfully help Bilbo unpack the rest of the nearly comatose dwarves from the barrels at Lake Town and, uh, and all that. So there are ways in which Feely and Keely and Bilbo are kind of operating on a more similar level. But we don't really get much of a very clear relationship between them. The three that I'm talking about are Balin, Bomber, and Dory. Of these, Dory, I would say, is probably... Uh, and again, here I'm just talking about the book. Um, Dory's relationship with Bilbo, I would say, is sort of least well-developed, but the thing that keeps being repeated, Dory is the one who always carries Bilbo around places. It's Dory uh, who carries, who who's the one who, who puts uh, uh, Bilbo up on his back to carry him out of the goblin tunnels. It's Dory who helps Bilbo up the tree when he can't get up the tree to escape from the wolves. Um, so, you know, Dory, uh, Dory, you know, and Dory jokes about this, you know, what do I look like, a porter? You know, he's, 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 you know, his job is to carry the hobbit, apparently. Um, Dory is, of course, the one whose legs Bilbo is holding on to uh, when they're flying off to the eagle's eyrie. So, you know, there's that kind of physical connection between, between Dory uh, and, uh, and, and, and Bilbo. And Dory is, is you know, although we don't see very much of his personality and he and Bilbo don't ever seem to have a highly developed relationship yet. Nevertheless, um, Dory is certainly friendly to Bilbo and, um, and we can see that he is, he is very helpful and Bilbo profits from, uh, from him a lot. You know, Dory is there to, to, to watch out for him. Um, Bomber is a really interesting one because Bomber is, is like to Bilbo in another way in that Bomber is, Bomber and Bilbo are both, to some extent, outsiders. This is true from the beginning, and we can see this. Um, the, the first place we really see this is when they're fleeing from the goblin tunnels, and uh, Bilbo's being swapped around and carried on the backs of different dwarves. And when he's being carried by Bomber, um, that's when <clears throat> Bilbo, you know, make, cries out in one of the ways that he does and says, you know, oh, why, oh, why did I ever leave my nice hobbit hole? And Bomber, 
who's carrying him at the time, you know, says, why, oh, why did I ever bring a hobbit on a treasure hunt? You know, a silly little hobbit on a treasure hunt. Um, but nevertheless, Bomb, we, you know, in, in telling us that, Tolkien also shows us that Bomber is sweating and shaking in his fear and terror and exhaustion. Um, he's not particularly enjoying this either. And, and, and there's this, you know, so there seems to be, although Bilbo is the one expressing his desire that he had never come along in the first place, Bomber, um, uh, who shares Bilbo's desire for regular meals, um, is also... In, in a similar state of not being 100% comfortable, not being totally on board with the privations of the journey in, in ways that the other dwarves seem to be a, a little bit more enthusiastic about. Of course, when Bomber falls into the enchanted stream and comes out of his sleep, he and Bilbo are much more alike, or rather are much more so outsiders to the rest of the group. Uh, Bomber is very much not in step with the rest of them. Of course, he's being carried. But, um, but even after he wakes up, um, he is very much a, sort of a deviant member of the party from then on. And this remains true, of course. The most poignant moment of connection between Bomber and Bilbo is the scene, which, of course, is, I assume, not going to happen in film two. Um, but when Bilbo sneaks out to give the Arkenstone to Bard, um, he, Bomber is the one who's on watch. And he and Bilbo have that conversation, and, and they are clearly on the same page. You know, uh, Bomber is Bomber and you know Bilbo's totally fed up and thinks that Thorin has totally lost it and Bilbo has decided he's going to take things into it, matters into his own hands. Bomber hasn't gotten there. He's not decided to take any such action. But he does uh you know he does definitely feel like Bilbo does. The two of them um you know the two of them I think do have a bond in that way. They are to some extent outsiders. Balin, however, is the one who is really the closest friend, it seems, that Bilbo has. They are the two of them are are, are, are closest. We get um, you know, Balin is the one who welcomes Balin is of course the first one to show up at Bilbo's door. He is the one who welcomes Bilbo in. In part this is because he's the watchman, right? So when Bilbo shows up um, when Bilbo shows up at the Green Dragon for their meeting, it's Balin who welcomes him into the group and, and you know, congratulates him on making it in time. That's, of course, because he's the one standing watch looking out for him. Um, but it's, it begins to be Balin's role. When Balin uh, you know, exclaims about his incredible skill in sneaking, because, of course, he's wearing the ring, though the dwarves don't know it, and sneaks into the middle of their camp, you know, it's Balin's reintroduction of himself to Bilbo. Uh, you know, when he takes off his hood and bows to him, that uh, that is really the moment of Bilbo's sort of full inclusion into the into the dwarves party and their you know the, the, the moment when their their opinion of him really changes and Balin is really sort of the spokesperson for the change of their opinion to the dwarves again he's the one who sort of in reaching out to Bilbo is the spokesperson Balin is the one who, he's of course the second in command uh, in a sense uh, of the party when Thorin is lost when they're, after they're captured by the spiders, Th Balin is the spokesperson uh, to the Elven King. Of course, we can see, or it seems like we can see from the trailer, that that's not going to happen in the film. Um, but, but again, you know, you think of the the relationship. You know, Balin in particular, in his relationship with Bilbo, when Bilbo reveals the ring. Um, right after the spider chase, it's Balin who comes after him about it, and who you know needs to hear, wants, to, demands to hear the whole story, riddles and all, with the ring in its proper place. And you know, there's that moment of real affection where we get that dialogue of 
Balin as he's falling asleep and you know and saying and and chuckling about the um about Bilbo's story and now looking back and realizing that it was because he had the invisibility ring that he sneaked past him and you know we get him you know sort of cheerfully falling asleep saying good old Bilbo good old Bilbo um and then of course in the end we get Balin and Bilbo not at the very end we get Balin and Bilbo as the exploration party who are going and checking out the front gate and it's it's Balin and Bilbo who have the conversation from Balin that Bilbo learns, you know, about oh, like this is what the valley used to look like and um it's through Balin that he seems to really begin to um to, to receive that sense, you know, to, to be more in touch with the sense of the loss of the region. And, um, you know, it's not just about the treasure, but about, you know, what this place used to be and how many people have died and, uh, you know, the, the destruction that has happened. Um, and then, of course, in the end, it's Balin who comes to visit him at Bag End um, with Gandalf in the final chapter years later. So, um, you know, so Balin is... Definitely, I think, the one who becomes personally closest to Bilbo. And there's definitely a bit of a mentor role there. Balin is the oldest one, second oldest to Thorin. In the, um, in the film, Balin seems to be the oldest of all. But, um, <clears throat> but anyway, he's, he, he definitely seems to be not just sort of a friend with Bilbo on equal grounds, but a mentor figure. Um, and uh, you know, one who's really sort of filling him in on how things were and helping to kind of integrate him, not just into the company, but into sort of the quest and the significance of what's going on. Um, so those are those are sort of the overall relationships that we see between Bilbo and the and the dwarves in the book. Now the question is, what are we going to see in the film? And of course, looking back on what we have seen in uh, in film one. So let's sort of start where I ended with Balin. Um, what did you guys make of Balin's depiction in film one, and in particular his relationship with Bilbo? Um, well, I said this uh, on probably multiple episodes over and over again um uh, right after right after the film i i i really enjoyed um the depictions of all the characters i enjoyed the way that they uh, filled out a lot of the dwarves and even some of the changes they made to some of the you know the more main characters like Balin and thorn and stuff i i um i you may recall i pointed out sort of the the poignancy of the moment where um, uh, Balin. So I, I really liked the Balin Thorin dynamic at the beginning. I liked how yes. they they really yes. they strengthened that relationship and they made Balin sort of his his, his trusty stalwart um, uh, advisor who's been with him since the beginning. And I really liked that moment where Balin pulls him aside, pulls Thorin aside, and says, "You know, we don't really have to go do this. You've done right by us. Um, this isn't necessary. Like you don't owe this to us or anything." And um, uh, and I, I like that because, I mean, I thought it was a nice moment, but I also thought it was very sad because, of course, Balin sort of in, in some sense ignores his own advice later on when he goes and tries to recapture Moria. So I, I, Balin, I thought they did a fantastic job with. And, and I think it's pretty true to the book as well. He still occupies that kind of older mentor role um, with, yes. with, with not just – uh, Thorin, but also with Bilbo and even some of the other dwarves. He, you know, he, yeah, yeah, he, like he also introduces the little, the weird little um, um, flashback story while they're sitting uh, camping in the mountains and stuff too. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, it seems to me that because you're right, he certainly is being kept in that in that mentor role, but he's mentoring Thorin. 
more than he is mentoring Bilbo. We don't see him interacting with Bilbo in the same, to the same extent. I liked the fact that we did get, at least to some extent, that same kind of Fuey and Kiwi and Bilbo operating on the same level, the way that Jackson in, uh, interjected that into the troll sequence. Um, and how that started with, you know, Bilbo and Fuey and Kiwi going off together. That actually kind of seemed to me sort of true to the spirit, not that Fuey and Kiwi in the film are represented in exactly the same way as they are in the book, um, but again, that, that the way in which, um, you know, Bilbo and Fuey and Kiwi are in one sense in the same category as the junior members of the expedition, um, that, that sort of overall spirit seemed to be still functioning there um, in that... Yeah, in the troll sequence in the film, so I thought that was interesting. Um, but I agree, they do seem to have, um, and and it's 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 a natural consequence of showing Thorin's character more, right? I mean, we didn't get any of the internal stuff in Thorin's character in the book um, as we were going along, not until near the very end. So, um, if you're going to show us more of what's going on with Thorin, it makes a great deal of sense to amplify the relationship between Balin and Thorin, which would certainly, which certainly was close in the book. Um, and I mean, at least we're led to understand that their relationship is a very close one, um, even though we don't see them interacting very much. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I agree. I mean, the way that he's, you know, th that sort of combination of, um, of affection and devotion that Bilba, that Balin shows to Thorin, mm -hmm. uh, combined with that kind of you know wise counselor and uh, and and advisor to Thorin, um, the way in which he serves openly as a link to the kingdom that was, I, th I mean I think it's very significant that Balin is the one who is depicted in that opening sequence. Like, you know, when we see Thorin pre-Attack of the Dragon, when we see Thorin back in the Erebor days, Balin is the one who's with him. It's Balin whose life he saves when Smaug first attacks there on the battlements. Um, so we get that connection between the two of them going way back. So when Balin is speaking to him, you know, this is not just, it's not like, I mean, if, if uh, you know, if Fiwi or Kiwi were being like, hey, you know, Thorin, don't worry about it. We're fine the way we are. Well, that that might be easy for them to say because they don't know any different. You know, they, they've never been to Erebor. They, you know, they don't, or they don't remember it anyway, most likely, even if they have. And, um, you know, whereas Balin, again, he, he's operating on Thorin's level and he can sort of speak to him from that point of view. And of course, Balin being the central person of the Azanul Bazaar um, flashback also further emphasized that um, having, Balin again being being the connection, and and not only that, but again the way that which for Balin that was like a teaching moment, right? You know, let me teach you, Fiwi and Kiwi, what it means to be a good king and why Thorin mm -hmm. is such a good king, and you know how and when Thorin became king and why you should, you know, stop screwing around and take this seriously and take him seriously. Um, you know that that uh, that that all fit really really well, but again. Although I loved the character of Bowen and I thought they did a great job with it, the consequence of all that is that Bowen's relationship with Bilbo himself is a great deal lesser in the film than it was in the book. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So he does. He, he does spend. He he does. He's spread a little more thinly. He spends more time um, mentoring everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, exactly, exactly. Um, well, he's kind—he's of, kind of the archivist of the group in the movie. You know, he's the one that gives us 
backstory, and then right. in the trailer, you know, he's the one that says, that's a dragon. You know, he's kind of like <laughs> the wise old sage guy, you know, that knows all the data kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, no, I mean, he does seem to have this, like, avuncular relationship right. with almost everybody. I mean, he, yeah. he's, like, he's like all the dwarves' uncle. Um, uh, and, you know, even with, even with, with Dwalin, his brother, you know, it's, it's clear that he's quite a bit senior to Dwalin, even though Dwalin was obviously there at Azanobazar. We saw him there. Um, so he's not... Because he, he often, he apparently offed a Gundabad orc at Azanobazar. No longer bulk. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is a little side, side thing we'll get to later, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, guess, yeah, I guess his role really is, I guess it's not necessary for him to have a particularly strong relationship with Bilbo, because um, in the books, he's he basically represents the one dwarf who is going out of his way to try and, and um, relate to Bilbo and understand mm -hmm. where Bilbo's coming from before before Bilbo has really earned their admiration and proved his usefulness. Like all the all the other dwarves accept uh, all the other dwarves accept Bilbo once he ha you know delivers some value to them. Um, not they don't, they're not interested in who he is or where he's coming from. Um, they're just interested in what he does for them. Uh, uh, um, Balin's the one that really tries to to understand him, you know, as Bilbo the Hobbit. In, in the movie, we we get that that they're all they all have a you know relationship to him. They in, in the book they really just kind of ignore him. In the movie, they they we have Bofur who who actually has a very Balin esque moment when Bilbo's thinking yes. about leaving before the Goblin Tunnels, and even 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 Thorin and some of the others. Are relating to him in the sense that they're they're you know they've saved him on a, on a couple of occasions and they're um, they're they're they are interested in his background to the extent that they're saying that he doesn't belong. So I, I guess the the Balin role has really kind of been kind of distributed among the different dwarves, and each dwarf has a slightly different reaction, but all kind of which were all sort of rolled into the character of Balin in the book. Yeah, I mean that that. That that seems right. I mean, Bofur is clearly the major difference. You know, Bofur is clearly the major um, uh, the, the 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 major shift from book to film. I mean, Bofur is one of the most invisible dwarves in the book. You know, he's in that category of dwarves who almost never my audio oh yeah say or do anything. My, um, I wonder if I wonder if um, if the Bofur will continue to be a standout, or if maybe in movies two, in the second movie another dwarf relationship will kind of come forward. I wonder if Jackson's yeah, going to do that. It is an interesting question because you can see two different options for Jackson there, right? On the one hand, he could take what he has, you know, established in film one and really build on it, and uh, and make Bofur and Bilbo's relationship. Um, closer, or he could try to distribute it. Um, and having given us that glimpse into Bofur's character, which we will presumably keep with us through the through the the second film, um, he could you know then choose to shine the spotlight on some of the other characters, um, and uh, and have them relating to 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 Bilbo more. Uh, I could definitely see that. It was interesting. Dory Dory's role <clears throat> and his connection with Bilbo was almost completely removed. Um, he wasn't really singled out um, for his support of Bilbo at all. Though again, I think, you know, Dave, the distinction you were just making seems to me to, to work as far as Balin being the one who goes out of his way 
to be kind to Bilbo, whereas Dory, he is willing to help, even self-sacrificially. I mean, when the wolves are coming in and Bilbo can't get up, he reaches down, and when he can't reach down, he gets out of the tree himself and boosts Bilbo up on his shoulders. That's he's true. In very great peril. Um, so Dory is, you know, he, he's 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 very willing to help, even at his own risk. But again, it's not like he's befriending Bilbo. In, mm-hmm. in, in this, we don't, you know, we don't see him really reaching out, um, uh, in the in in the same kind of way that we can see. We don't hear him speak affectionately of Bilbo in the way that we hear Balin speaking affectionately of Bilbo. Um, but with Bofor, you know, we do get with Bofor in the film. You know, we did definitely get more of that element. Although, as I say, there was there was sort of none of that given to Dory. Um, uh, so. Yeah, and of course, you know, one of the things which also complicates, you know, I mentioned the Feely and Kiwi relationship. One of the things that really complicates the Feely and Kiwi relationship uh, in the film is that although they are, as I said before, still in the film, too, in that same kind of junior outlier category uh, in the company, um, personality-wise, they're now so different. You know, it seems to me that in personality... Uh, Fuey and Kiwi represent the greatest contrast to Bilbo, certainly in film one. Um, and, uh, you know, like Dwalin's appearance, um, Dwalin's appearance in the, uh, um, in the, in the film and, uh, you know, and, 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 and Balin, you know, so like when they come, Bilbo is uncomfortable. It's only when Feely and Kiwi come that things start to get really strange, and you know they start like wiping their feet on, uh, you know, his, uh, on his furniture and hand him all these, you know. So we see him like with that that uncomfortable image of Bilbo with an armful of weapons, um, which again is you know sort of their attitude towards adventure, uh, uh, which is also very much emphasized in the troll sequence where we do see the three of them going off together and working together. But again, it's not working together in a similar spirit as it was in the book. It's working together in a very different spirit. Um, uh, so, so there's definitely more contrast there because of the way that Peter Jackson sort of, because, because of the direction that Peter Jackson has taken um, Fiuli and Kiwi's characters. Um, should we, we should probably start shifting to characters in the film. Oh, sorry. Yeah, we should. I just want to, before we did, any other, any other uh, characters in the film that we see relating to Bilbo in any other ways that, that we're sort of overlooking? Uh, We've got, you know, Balin and Bofur and, um, Bomber, I would say. We didn't talk about Bomber in the film. Um, Bomber seems to have... Well, at least in film, Bomber's Bomber's kind of the Harpo Marx, isn't he? Of the, of the yeah, company. I mean, he's, I was going to say, I mean, he's really kind of lost personality. Um, he had a good deal more personality in the book. It's not always a pleasant personality. I mean, he's like a, a whiner uh, and uh, uh, and everything, but but nevertheless, he definitely had a, a distinct personality. Whereas he seems to be more a sort of a series of of, of gags in the film. That's I'm understandable, and I've been saying for a while, if there's going to be one character they're going to sacrifice for total comic relief, Bomber is a very natural candidate for that, because Tolkien uses him for comic relief. But um, anyway, so I, uh, I do think um, 
that uh, yeah. So so I mean, I, it's it. That's not surprising to me. I will be interested to see if, as it appears from some of the shots that we've seen, that Bomber is in fact going to fall asleep and be carried through Mirkwood by them. I will be interested to see how Bomber's character develops, um, and because it, it may well be that what Peter Jackson is doing here is basically permitting um, Bomber's character to be a kind of brainless comedy, uh, and then shift. Uh, after that to sort of make that shift more dramatic. Again, I'm not sure that's going to happen, but I think that that might well happen. Um, so actually, one other character uh, whose relationship with Bilbo we should probably discuss is uh, is Gandalf. Ah, yes. yes How could we forget? Um, yeah, exactly. I've been thinking mostly about dwarves, but um, yeah, um, I'm trying, to th I'm trying to think of what I, I, the question I'm pondering right now is what do I think are the primary differences between the way that Peter Jackson has depicted the Gandalf-Bilbo relationship uh, in the film uh, compared to their relationship in the book? It's it's in many ways it's pretty similar actually, right? Like he he's not um, early on. He doesn't show himself to be particularly close to Bilbo, um, not the way that he, you know, he, in the book he really kind of evolves from like just this sort of, you know, um, uh, being kind of like, at the beginning of the book he's he's Gandalf the wizard and he's kind of sort of, uh, you know, on, on sort of a level above and we're not, not encouraged to relate to him directly as like a, as a character with feelings and motivations. By the end of the book he, he's a little more relatable and he's shown to be actually quite fond of Bilbo and very concerned about his safety and, and, um, and success and happiness. Um, and I feel like, I feel like um, the, the, the movie is actually pretty similar. I think the the Gandalf at the beginning, he, Peter Jackson's obviously leveraging our our previous experiences with Gandalf. Like he's totally yes. totally with Gandalf more than any other character. They're they're playing up the the Lord of the Rings film nostalgia. I think they're doing a lot of similar yes. stuff with him. Um, and he is a little more personal in that he he recount in in convincing Bilbo to go he isn't just commanding him to go he actually tries to convince him by 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 you know telling him the story of his ancestors and family and stuff but i think he he but i still think that he's backed off a bit from lord of the rings um uh, gandalf like they're they're definitely leveraging that nostalgia but but it's not just like good old same old gandalf i think he's a little more yeah. standoffish than he was in um lord of the rings yeah i mean they clearly are you know because they have to be turning the clock back and and clearly you know he's trying to do that um, Jackson, that is, is trying to do that. It's turning the clock back in the relationship between Gandalf and Bilbo in particular, Gandalf and the Hobbits in general. Um, so, you know, thinking to, for instance, that really adorable um, moment in The Fellowship of the Ring when after Gandalf does his, like, I am you know, swelling and growing and my shadow is filling the room and I am, you know, exerting my power to overcome the pull of the ring upon you, Bilbo. And then Bilbo does that, like, adorable little whimper thing and goes and hugs Gandalf. Um, that's... They, that kind of, 
relationship is obviously <laughs> not there. So like clearly they have to back off from that, right? Um, you know, they, they 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 have to they have to back up and be like, okay, here's Gandalf and Bilbo at the beginning of their relationship. But you're clearly right. They do leverage the Lord of the Rings connection. Um, Gandalf and his relationship with you know, I'm thinking of the, the to me the biggest difference between Gandalf in the film and Gandalf in the book is that scene that Peter Jackson gives us of the two of after Bilbo has fainted and Bilbo is sort of debating, you know, can I can I go, you know, the whole like I am a I am a I am a baggins of bag end and um and Gandalf tells him, you know, talks about you know, bull roarer and the invention of the game of golf. That scene is to me the the biggest difference because we never get that. We never get any sense of intimacy. We know that Gandalf knows about Bilbo, but Bilbo doesn't know Gandalf personally, and and the two of them don't have that kind of a personal interaction. Um, in the in the book, it just doesn't happen. Um, Gandalf is more presumptuous than anything. He he sort of uh, is invited to tea and shows up with the dwarves. Um, acts as if, you know, he he doesn't quite, he doesn't bully Bilbo into going. Bilbo chooses, but um, uh, but he kind of, in, you know, in chapter one, bullies all of them, you know, as, you know, uh, in in saying that, you know, Bilbo is, is, you know, he's he has declared that Bilbo is the burglar, and, you know, anybody who has anything to say about that can, um, you know, like, basically, if anybody doesn't like it, then, you know, Gandalf will just leave, and, you know, they can put up with as much bad luck as they like, and he's glowering at the dwarves, and he's glowering at Bilbo, and everybody shuts up and is like, okay, all right, we'll go along with it. Um, that's the most that we get, you know, that's Gandalf being persuasive. It is certainly not a quiet private conversation where they talk about Bilbo's family history and Bilbo, you know, is open about his misgivings and his, you know, his, you know, fears and, and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, that Gandalf as confidant, Gandalf as, you know, trusted advisor uh, is not a role Gandalf plays with Bilbo at the beginning of the film. Um, but is something, but that is more of something that we, or sorry, at, at, at the beginning of the book, but it is more of what we see in the beginning of the film. Um, by the end, of course, Gandalf is going, you know, and Gandalf in his return um, is, uh, you know, going to be, going to have much more of that relationship with, with Bilbo in the book. Um, and the kind of, the kind of, joy, not just relief in the sense of like, oh, phew, the wizard is back and he can now take care of things, um, but the real pleasure that Bilbo has in seeing Gandalf again um, when Gandalf reappears right before the Battle of Five Armies um, is, I think, you know, sort of speaks a lot about the relationship between Gandalf and Bilbo. Um, in the film, I thought it was interesting that Gandalf's relationship with Bilbo doesn't actually seem to me to develop all that much after that first sequence. There's the moment where he and Bilbo have that heart-to-heart -heart about Sting, right? Um, you know, about not using the sword. But other than that, I'm trying to think of other moments when we get real Gandalf-Bilbo moments in film one. Sub, you know, after really aren't any. It's more Thorin and Gandalf having you know sort of fighting. There's not a lot of development of Bilbo and and Gandalf. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That, that's that why that's what 
Yeah, that's why I, 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 I sort of feel like it's a little more kind of he, he, he's a little more standoffish than um, uh, Lord of the Rings Gandalf. Because in in Lord of the Rings, throughout like Fellowship of the Ring, we we constantly get these like Gandalf sitting down with Frodo and chatting with him and teaching him, or Gandalf yelling at Pippin, or you know Gandalf's like mm-hmm. making the rounds, talking to all of the various company members and stuff. So. Um, he's definitely a little more, he's like at arm's length in this, I think. Yeah, yeah. And, and part of that, you know, comes of having Gandalf being, the post-Lord of the Rings Gandalf, that is, the Hobbit Gandalf told from the post-Lord of the Rings perspective, is a person who is wiser, is better informed, uh, and has much bigger fish to fry than the Gandalf in The Published Hobbit does. Um, so that's one consequence, I think, of doing, of, of you know, telling the story within this frame. Um, you know, meanwhile, like, while the dwarves and Bilbo are all doing their thing at Rivendell, Gandalf is off having private councils with the wise, and, you know, we don't get that in the book. Um, you know, we don't get that element of Gandalf. I mean, clearly he has, you know, he, he has a previous relationship with the people at Rivendell, and he is known and trusted there. That's clear in the book. But still, there isn't that sense of, we, we are not reminded this is only, you know, this is only one small thing. Like, meanwhile, while Gandalf is, is traveling with the company, you know, part of his mind is elsewhere and he's thinking about these other big picture things um, that have nothing to do with and are far beyond the you know the pay scale of Bilbo and the dwarves we do get that sense in the film um, which again I think is necessary when you're doing you know when you're doing it from this point of view um, but I think that's another reason why we don't get the same kind of sort of intimate personal connections uh, with Gandalf, uh, in the, because of that level of differentiation, yeah. Um, yeah, the the quest for the ring, you know, the the quest of the ring, it wasn't a it wasn't a side quest for Gandalf. You know, like his whole mind was focused on what they were doing <laughs> when he's traveling with the company. Um, uh, whereas here, again, this is a, this is a sideshow, and he knows it's a sideshow, um, and we can tell that he knows it's a sideshow. So. I think that that necessarily puts Gandalf in his relationship with the company in a different, and, and, and therefore with Bilbo in a different place in this film um, than it did in the book or than it did in the previous films, too. So anyway, yeah, so we should talk about Thorin um, and Thorin's relationship with Bilbo, too. Now, Thorin, you know, the big question is sort of... unusual how... because I, I have my own... Uh... Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> we're, we're, having, we're having a f- just few. Gonna, I wanted to acknowledge I have my own battle of Azanolbazar going on behind me. Oh really? Oh, what? What's yeah, I'm sitting outside and I, there's a big waste management truck over here. So it reminds me of when at the end of the year last year when Dave was I think you were in the, like a hotel lobby. Oh, yeah, and, and there, there were, was like stuff going on behind there were people you. being like yeah. strangled to death <laughs> or beaten. <laughs> yes, yes. So I'm a little worried my background may sound like that, so I'm muting myself out. But I'm I'm here and riveted to the conversation. Oh, okay, great, good, good. Just just wanted to make sure. Good. Yeah, yeah, excellent. Um, yeah. So Thorin. So basically, the question with Thorin is, even when we're talking about the film, 
you know, we, from the book perspective, we have a sense that we know where we're headed, right? Um, you know, the, the sort of the final destination of Thorin and Bilbo's relationship is the, the final, the, you know, the outbreak of hostility between Thorin and Bilbo, and when in the book Thorin threatens to kill Bilbo, and then only grudgingly lets him go free. Um, and then, of course, their final reconciliation on Thorin's deathbed. Um, and I think that most of our conversations about Thorin and Bilbo uh, in the film have been premised upon the fact that we are probably headed in the same directions with Thorin and Bilbo in the films, that we expect Thorin to die and to be reconciled with Bilbo on his deathbed and for things to get pretty ugly between Thorin and Bilbo prior to that. So with that kind of basic assumption, our question is, how, what, is the you know, what is the trajectory going to be like? How are things going to go from where they went in the first film? How is that arc going to continue? And, you know, of course, that was a major thing in the first film. Um, major in that that's, that was the ending moment of the, of the first film. Of course, the final moment was the opening of Smaug's Eye. But the... Um, but you know the, the the climactic scene of the first film is the reconciliation. Well, not the reconciliation, the conciliation. The you know the the sort of the final um, bond, establishment of a bond between Thorin and Bilbo. Bilbo's acceptance by Thorin um, as a member of the company, as one of his people. You know whom uh, uh, you know like you know faithfulness and a willing heart and whatever else. You know when Bilbo is finally. Uh, you know, counted among the number of people who have those things and whom Thorin is willing to rely on. Uh, so the first film saw, you know, saw Thorin's distrust and disrespect for Bilbo, and uh, and you know, e eventually Bilbo gaining that, and so Bilbo's own growth and his own uh, you know, coming to understand better what's going on, thanks largely to Bofur, but uh, and then of course Thorin's acceptance of him. So the question is where things are going to go from here, assuming we're still going to get to the descendant of rats. Um, I always use, I, I always use the descendant of rats to refer to their fight. Um, that's of course what, uh, you know, the insult, one of the insults that, uh, uh, that Thorin uses against Bilbo when he's threatening to throw him down off the, off the walls. Um, so if we're going to get to Descendant of Rats, um, how are we going to get there? And I think there are several issues involved here. One of them is the differences between Bilbo's point of view and Thorin's point of view. It's mm -hmm. just the fact that they don't see eye to eye. In the book, this is a big thing. I mean, it's, that's why Bilbo draws the line and gives away the Arkenstone. Because he's like, look, okay, Thorin is totally lost perspective here. Uh, you know, somebody's got to take this, you know, some, like, person who is still sane has to act like a sensible person, and it's going to have to be me. Um, so, again, that's not like I distrust Thorin or Thorin distrusts him. That's, this is just, um, you know, the two of them don't see eye to eye, and Bilbo becomes increasingly convinced that he's right and Thorin is wrong. Um, so there's that element. Another thing which I think is likely to be a more prominent feature of the film than the book as I have mentioned before, is the question of leadership. Um, Thorin is a very strong leader, and Thorin, as their leader and as their king, um, is a much bigger focus of the film, mm -hmm. very understandably, than it was in the book. Um, you know, those passages where we are told that Bilbo had, of course, become the real leader of their company, um, 
that's easy to say in the book. That's going to be harder to execute in the film without consequences. Um, you couldn't do that in the film without making a, a lot of change. I mean, Thorne has got to be completely emasculated before you can get to the point where Bilbo is the real leader and Thorne is just going along with whatever he says. Um, so, I, you know, I think that that's got to be a major factor. Um, what do you think, Dave? How do you see the leadership dynamics evolving um, over the course of this? Because, you know, the, we're entering into the sequence where in the book, Bilbo's competency and the dwarves' reliance upon Bilbo's competency mm -hmm. and eventually leadership uh, is steadily increasing through the Mirkwood sequence and finally to the to the barrel escape. Right. And and what's interesting is that the the thorn of the book doesn't doesn't uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but he doesn't he doesn't it's not like he displays a great deal of resentment about this fact, right? No. Like like no, he's he just accepts all. it. He readily accepts it the way the rest of the dwarves. The, the dwarves are like they're like passengers basically. They're just getting right. swept along by the story, right? Yeah, to a large extent. And yeah, there's Thorin's own in part because Thorin himself does not have that much development as a character until we get to the dragon sickness stuff later yeah. on. Yeah. Um, but prior to that, he doesn't, you know, the focus of the story is so much on Bilbo. We don't get a lot of internal stuff of what's going on in Thorin's mind. And so therefore, yep. there's no movement as far as his, the dynamics of his relationship with the rest of the party yep. or any doubts about his own personal identity or anything like that. Yep. And, and I think the movie, the movie, I feel like the, what, what the first film has set us up with is, is two competing Thorin dynamics. The first one being um, uh, the the fact that they've already established him as as leader and king, and 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 not just not just as desiring to be leader and king, but actually a, as like as like capable. Um, you know that that's the whole point of Balin's story, um, and, and we also see him throughout like uh, making pretty pretty good decisions. Maybe the decision to run out of the burning tree and fight Azog wasn't a particularly great <laughs> one, but but it but it was but it was kind of heroic, you know. It was sort of a last yeah. charge type thing. Um, but we see him rescuing Bilbo and, and, and helping and rescuing and protecting the dwarves. We see him uh, w when they're captured by the goblins. He he, and they're being threatened. He he identifies himself. You know, he's basically putting his neck on the line to tr in hopes of uh, sparing the other dwarves. So we've established him like that. The other thing, though, is that so so we would expect that as that if Bilbo starts stepping up and being a leader, that that there would be conflict. Um, but the other the other dynamic that's been established is is um, Bilbo's already done this once. He stepped up and saved uh, Thorin from from being killed at the end, and Thorin's happy about this. And it's and it's yes. that act that causes Thorin to accept Bilbo. So so yeah. Bilbo so Bilbo stepping up and being heroic and and you know providing leadership isn't isn't you know isn't is in fact what's in, uh, gaining his acceptance by the company. Although although you could argue that um, that that in saving that that if we have sort of a thorn who sees himself as leader of the company and and not particularly ready to share that, you could argue that that Bilbo's actions at the end of the film, the first film, uh, could be interpreted not as Bilbo taking on leadership role, but as Bilbo, um, uh, you know, providing useful service to his 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 lord and liege, right? 
Like, Bilbo wasn't really necessarily being a leader. It wasn't like he was challenging Thorin, you know. It's not like he, right. he grabbed Thorin by the arm before Thorin could run out of the tree and said, no, no, this is a dumb idea, don't do this. You know, this <laughs> right. is poor leadership on your part, let's do this instead. Rather, right. it was Bilbo putting his neck on the line to save the, the rightful leader in King Thorin. So... Maybe they are yeah. actually, I was thinking that, that these were competing dynamics, but actually maybe they're compatible. Maybe they, that that, in fact, is even setting things up even more so for, for Thorin to right. sort of think that Bilbo has, has taken, you know, his rightful position as subordinate. Which would make the, uh, you know, the, the, the theft and transfer of the Arkenstone um, more look so. more like a betrayal. Yeah. Right, right. Well, that's I guess that's one good reason to kind of keep the dynamic going that got started in movie one, which is what Dave was just talking about, you know, the, the defending his king thing. The other track I could see movie two going would be to actually start this tension, you know, that, that I think, like, as you were kind of saying, Corey, I mean, back more to the book, which is maybe once they get into Mirkwood with the spiders, with Bilbo saving them from the Elven King's Hall, that, that Bilbo takes on more of a leadership role, which could grate on Thorin. So we may mm -hmm. start to see a deterioration even sometime in this, in, in the second movie. Yeah. Right. Uh, and, and see, I wonder, what I'm wondering is exactly, with the question of Bilbo in a leadership role, it's a little bit harder for me to see the Martin Freeman Bilbo going in that direction very strongly, certainly to the point where he's kind of rivaling Thorin anytime very soon anyway. What I could see, however, is Bilbo becoming more outspoken from his kind of outsider perspective. Uh, this, I think, they've done pretty well in the films of how they've maintained, as is true in the book, how Bilbo just does not have the same value structure that the dwarves have, and that's clear. You know, that he's not going to just go along with what the dwarves say and with what the dwarves want because he does not think the same way. I think that this is likely to come into tension pretty quickly uh, in the Elven King's Hall. Um, I can, it's hard for me to imagine, it's, it's easy for me to imagine the other dwarves getting behind Thorin um, in the what seems inevitable hostility that's going to break out between Thorin and the Elven King. Um, I can see the other dwarves siding with Thorin, some perhaps uncomfortably, but all of them siding. It's harder to see Bilbo doing that. So I could easily see that as a moment in the film where uh, Bilbo starts to speak out against Thorin, not in the don't follow Thorin, follow me instead sense, but in the uh, in the just as, as a dissenter, being yeah. like, you know, like, guys, I don't, you're, you're wrong. Like, you know, this, this is not, this is, you know, I, I don't see things this way and I'm not going along with that. Uh, and I'm totally not comfortable with that. Um, and in Lake Town, of course, in the book that does happen in Lake Town. Mm -hmm. Bilbo doesn't oppose Thorin, he doesn't speak out against Thorin. Um, but Thorin and the dwarves are going around all smug and happy and Bilbo's clearly in a different place. Yeah, yeah. And this is the, remains true on the mountain. Yeah, you can you can you can um, you can easily imagine a trajectory where uh, Bilbo's actions during the spider fight, um, um, you know, uh, which are which are sort of 
in kind with his actions at the end of the first film, sort of yes. initially seeming like, you know, uh, like Thorne sort of reacting to that, like, you know, good old reliable Bilbo um, doing his job. But when he starts to notice the esteem with which the other dwarves start to, to, to treat him, maybe starts feeling a little threatened. Um, and then more of that in the dungeons of the, um, of the Elven King, um, or Bilbo's, Bilbo's sort of helping them out and making plans and rescuing them, and the dwarves increasingly turning to him, and Thorin, maybe even Thorin and Bilbo having a disagreement over what, what's the right plan of action, and Bilbo basically winning out, because after all, he's the only one who's not in the cell anyway. And, so, and Bilbo just saying, right. no, look, we're doing it this way. I'm the one that's out here. This is what's happening. And asserting himself, and maybe Thorin sort of grumbling and going along with it, but but sort of harboring some resentment over that. And then it then it could start coming out even more at the uh, at the the um, at Lake Town and in the approach to the mountain, where where Bilbo is increasingly the dissenter, and Thorin's starting to resent that. Although I don't I don't think they want you know I, I, here here's an here's a question. Um, if they play it up too much, if they if they develop it too gradually, will that lessen the impact of the the, the scene of Bilbo's betrayal? Well, I don't know. I mean, it depends. Because I mean, basically, you can do that in one of two ways. Right? I have I, mean, I have an idea before you get okay, to that. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> Sorry, I think there's a delay here. Sorry about that. Well, yeah, I just sir. wanted to get this in because listening to you guys talk, and then maybe Corey, this might enter into kind of you know your answer to Dave's question. The other thing is that another possibility is is that Bilbo doesn't change at all. In other words, we may just see him still operating at the same level he's been operating at. But Thorin, we I think we have seen from the trailer and what we've seen so far, is going to be coming under more and more and more pressure from external sources. Thranduil is going to exert pressure on him. I mean, we see him giving Thranduil some killer looks. Uh, apparently, you know, Bard is going to at least initially be resistant. You know, he's going to come under pressure at Lake Town. Bilbo could just turn into Thorin's whipping boy. You know, it may be a displacement thing where he's getting so much pressure and so much stress from external that he ends up taking it out on Bilbo without Bilbo necessarily changing much. So that's another dynamic that could happen. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that, especially since, you know, as, as I was thinking, you know, as I was just saying before, I, it's hard for me to see the Martin Freeman Bilbo consciously taking on a leadership role but Dave as you were suggesting it doesn't have to be about Bilbo so Bilbo declaring himself a leader or setting himself up as a rival it ha just has to do with the uh, with the reactions of the other dwarves right i mean if they are saying to be, you know if, if if we get the dwarves um more and more so, you know if Bilbo just does not think the same way that Thorin does and doesn't look at things the same way and uh, speaks his mind, and the dwarves are increasingly saying, hey, yeah, Thorin, the hobbit's right, that by itself can be perceived by Thorin as some kind of a threat um, rather than, you know, and Bilbo doesn't have to be at all interested in setting himself up as a rival. Um, but, uh, so yeah, and, and I think thinking about um, the way that it would build towards what I was going to say is there there are two ways in which I could see the sort of the climax of oh I guess you know you could say the the you know the low point the nadir of the Thorin Bilbo relationship could come suddenly or it could be sort of a, a, a logical culmination. Um, 
if their relationship remains good, um, then you know what's going to look like a complete betrayal could come as a total surprise to Thorin. Um, and I, it's not that I can't see them doing that. I could see them doing that. I could see them because you know, Trish. The other thing that you could say is that it could go the other way, right? Thorin or Bilbo could be could become increasingly Thorin's confidant. You know that as everybody as everybody else in the world seems to be against him, we could see Thorin relying more and more on Bilbo and the two of them being more and more together and Bilbo coming more and more into line with Thorin's thinking and respecting Thorin's point of view more and more. Um, and then it's seeming like, you know, ten times the betrayal when finally Bilbo makes his different choice at the end. Or it could be something which is gradually building and gradually building and getting more and more explicit and, you know, just becomes the sort of long-anticipated uh, you know, climax to that, uh, you know, the long anticipated crash at the end of that, uh, at, at the end of that particular ride. And I can see either one of them playing pretty well. Yeah. Well, from a movie drama standpoint, I would see that being probably more likely this kind of, like you just said, you know, more and more confidant, more and more, you know, closer, closer, closer. So that when the, when the betrayal does happen, I mean, it's a really big, you know, huge moment of you know Thorin's reaction I mean to me just that just seems like more Hollywood to me <laughs> than some yeah, of the other things we've talked about yeah and one of the two things I mean I, I feel like one of those two things has to happen in order for the audience to be able to be okay with Thorin's reaction because um, it's one of the things you know I mean that's that's going to be hard to build um, Thorin has to you know we have to get somewhere you know we, we have to get Thor, you know, in our minds, we have to get Thorin from um, "I am embracing Bilbo," uh, you know, on the Carrick, to "I am threatening to throw Bilbo off some equally high precipice," um, and you know, so that's that's not going to happen. Um, uh, that rather, that it, it, it's not going to make sense to the audience unless it's either built too steadily and gradually, so we can see it unfolding or justified by some kind of traumatic action, such as, you know, what would seem well, like... Well, that also brings in the dragon sickness trail. subject, you know what I mean? The, some, somewhere along the line, we're going to need to see a Thorin start to get into the group of dragon sickness, and I would think that would need to start in movie two for just the reason you just said, which is to make it okay with the, with the audience that, you know, he's, we see him go over the edge, and then his you know rant at Bilbo makes sense because not just about the Arkestone but because he's obviously psychologically deranged from this dragon sickness right but see i i would be this is where i think the film almost has to differ from the book because in the book Thor, again thorin's own personality is not very fully developed prior to the dragon sickness and so when we see thorin sliding down into dragon sickness um there's kind of nothing else going on there. That is to say, in the film, we know Thorin is like a bundle of like insecurities and uncertainties and self-doubt, and you know there are all these complexities to his character uh, established in film one, which is going to be interacting with the dragon sickness. Of course, we even have the fact that he saw the dragon sickness, if we call it that, uh, uh, taking over Thror, and we saw, you know, his his grief over that. Um, and 
so you know we know that if he's going to succumb to the dragon sickness, it's going to be like one of those tragic situations of Thorin becoming the thing that he himself, uh, you know, hated so much in his grandfather before. Um, but, but again, he, even without that, you know, he's got his he's got his like you know, his self-identity issues. He's got his, uh, his, you know, daddy and granddaddy issues. He's got his elf issues. I mean, he's got his thing with Thranduil and the abandon, the apparent abandonment of Erebor by, by the elves. Um, you know, he's got all those other things before <laughs> Dragon comes into the picture, you know? So, That's true. <laughs> so, he's, a, he's a ticking time bomb. Even he is. The I mean, this guy—he's—he's—he's he's, going to blow sooner or later. You know, no matter what happens. So I'm kind of wondering if the all of these other things lead to, you know, a certain baseline of tension that then, you know, we see. You know, it's—it's it's almost like I'm almost kind of imagining. Uh, uh, not that I'm, not that I'm suggesting that this would actually function allegorically or something like that, but, uh, but that I'm thinking of the dragon sickness not as a sort of a completely a totally new feature or unrelated feature, but the dragon sickness coming in as like almost like. You know, Thorin taking to drink at the end, <laughs> almost like, <laughs> almost like drunkenness. You know, something like finally he's just driven over the edge, and you know when he gets there, like he's already completely imbalanced, and he needs he needs like some way to cope, and so like Thorin like takes to gold as uh, as like you know some other totally stressed out and miserable person would take to would take to booze, and uh, and this just throws him out, and he like goes on a he, he goes on a on a treasure hoard bender, and like now we see him totally come off the rails uh, at the end of his trajectory before he recovers himself uh, uh, at the end. Um, a horde addict. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So basically, seeing it as as sort of the final stage of his, you know, like sort of the the downward spiral of his character before he comes out of the spiral at the end, um, uh, rather than just like a completely, you know, a totally alien element or trying to integrate it. I don't know. I mean, so I think that that's kind of how I would see. And and basically, the way that that could map therefore onto his. Onto his relationship with Bilbo is that it could be that there is some tension between him and Bilbo, um, because you know some of Bilbo's opposition, as I assume Bilbo is going to be in opposition to, to to Thorin at various points, especially I would see, I would think in Mirkwood, uh, in uh, in the Elven King's halls, if not in Lake Town, there's going to be some there's going to be some resistance, but that. Thorin doesn't really go over the edge, and we don't see him really become hostile and move strongly in the Descendant of Rats direction until he's also coming into the grip of the dragon sickness, as he does in the book. Um, and that's what really puts him over from, you know, like, troubled to um, clinical. <laughs> basically uh, <laughs> well you know you know um Ar armitage is armitage's portrayal of thorin is very shakespearean so i would think yeah. he's coming off the rails is probably also going to be a very shakespearean kind of you know a hamlet Macbeth kind of you know descending into madness thing well yeah i mean you know i think i've been kind of 
I've been, I've been, I think as I've been talking about this, I've kind of had Macbeth a little bit in the back of my mind, actually. I'm thinking about the way Macbeth comes off the rails in that play. Um, and of course it's different. I mean, Thorin's trajectory, it's not a tragic hero trajectory. You know, it's not like, you know, he gives in to this, you know, he, you know, like Macbeth who starts, you know, making bad decisions for like shakily justifiable reasons. And then the justifications become shakier as the choices become worse until finally he's like a raving beast at the end of the, of the play. Um, uh, you know, he is like, as he compares himself to a bear, uh, you know, chained in an arena, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a bear baiting, which was such a popular sport uh, in Elizabethan times. So, um, and, and, and Thorne's, I mean, Thorne's arc you know, is the, not the, the same initial... arc as Macbeth's, but. Well, but the initial motivation is not that different. I mean, you know, Macbeth is wanting to go after the crown. I mean, he's wanting to usurp, basically, right? I mean, his his right. his, his his obsession is that. But I mean, Thorin's, you know, there's it's still an obsession-based motivation in both cases, right? Yeah, it is. I, I mean, mean Thorin's not going that... around killing people and stuff, but still, right, right, exactly. No, I mean, you don't have the, you know, simply the the ambition. I mean, the main difference is the self-centeredness. You know, f from the beginning with Mac with with Macbeth, it's you know his own ambition and what he wants for himself, um, and that's not the issue with Thorin. There's more to it than that, um, and it has more to do with insecurities. Macbeth is not insecure at all um, at the beginning I mean um, he becomes insecure once he becomes king but um, uh, but again that's a consequence of the paranoia that comes from the decision that he's making but again I'm just thinking of the overall sort of shape of it and how he how, how he Macbeth comes off the rails at the end that there would be sort of a shift and you know the moment for Macbeth the moment of the of the shift plainly is when he goes back to the witches the second time and the prophecies are given and you know from then on he's you know he's slaughtering people and uh, he's just like a complete madman um, because he's so confident so falsely confident so I wonder if if we're going to get a similar you know that kind of a pattern that kind of a, again you know in some ways, as I say, Macbeth isn't a great parallel for Thorin, but um, but again, I'm just thinking of that kind of devolution. You could do, you could go Othello too, though. You know, the whole sexual jealousy thing is sort of well. That's true. I was thinking Ham Hamlet Macbeth hybrid, but you're right. Othello could be, uh, <laughs> but kind of that whole tragic hero sort of going yeah. a little nuts thing. I mean, that's you know, you yeah. could almost sort of say it's an amalgamation of those three Shakespearean characters. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think you know, there's the, there are ways that we could that we can see that kind of thing, and I agree with um, uh, your statement about uh, about Armitage's uh, depiction of of uh, of of Thorin thus far um, being being sort of of the of a, of a of a rather Shakespearean character. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I but but again, how does this mean in the short term? It's going to play. I mean, here we're thinking about the crash at the end, but it, uh, the crash seems likeliest to come in film three. Um, so, how is it going to be? How is it going to be built up to? And I think you know, a lot of this really comes down to the depiction of Bilbo's character as much as it does the depiction of Thorin's. Um, is Bilbo actually going to be speaking out against Thorin? Um, is he, you know, or are we going to have the, uh, you know? Are we gonna are we gonna carry on and continue the you know sort of budding romance that we got on the Carrick at the end of film one? 
that that could well be. And Dave, you know, I go back. It could to be what very short lived, about... couldn't it? It could be. It could be very short lived. Um, I mean, there could be. Uh, you know, Thorne could start getting. Um, it, Bilbo could start getting uncomfortable. I, you know, again, because that would work, I think, from Bilbo's perspective. You know, film one is Bilbo's on the outside and he doesn't even want in and then he kind of wants in but he's not let in and then at the end he's finally let in so now at the end of the at the end of film one he's finally an insider he's finally welcomed in at the beginning of film two Bilbo is now an insider and he finally looks around him and says actually it's kind of weird in here um, I, you know, I don't really want to be an insider anymore uh, this is uh, now that I'm inside with these guys I'm kind of uncomfortable um, and 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 the tension begins right away with Thorin I could see that happening um, or we could have more of a sort of a struggle on Bilbo's part. Um, again, we've been talking all about the trajectory of Thorin's character, but what about the trajectory of Bilbo's character? Do we see him, um, he clearly, both in book and film, has a different value system to the dwarves um, and has a different outlook and, and a different attitude than the dwarves. Do we see Bilbo in the second film progressively suppressing that more? and becoming more like them, or basically allowing himself to be more Baggins-like um, and being more comfortable with that and trying less hard to fit in. I could see either one of those things happening in the second film. If the second, if, if, if the latter, if he becomes more sort of openly Baggins-ish and, and has less anxiety about how he fits in and ceases to try to, to, to become like the dwarves and fit in, then I would think his tension with Thorin would be much more. If, on the other hand, we see him kind of, you know, just becoming more tookish and suppressing the Baggins-ish uh, part and, uh, and not being so clearly differentiated from the rest of the dwarves, if that happens, then I could see, you know, him and Thorin just getting closer and closer. Which do you guys think is more likely of those two scenarios? <sighs> I'm torn. Yeah, good question. <laughs> Dave, why don't you go first? <laughs> yeah. oh, man, um, I don't know. I really am torn about this. Uh, I because I, I I am I'm concerned about this. I'm concerned about the possibility that if they if they if they slow develop the um, conflict between them too much, that the that the that'll lessen the impact of the betrayal scene. Uh, at the same time, if they don't develop it at all, then that will be, like, shocking and weird. And, like, like where did that come from? Right, right. So, so they just need to balance it very carefully. The other thing, too, is I think they need to... Um, if if that betrayal scene is going to be particularly powerful in a, in a sort of a personal way, they really do need to give us some time for the friendship to develop. Like, if they immediately head into open conflict um, at the beginning of this film, then um, then there won't be very much tragedy in their fallout, because it'll yes. just be like, well, these guys never really got... Uh, apart from that one moment at the end of the film, these guys never got along. So there's part of me that really thinks that they need to spend most of this film as friends. Um, right. that, that, that Bilbo might have... Bilbo will evolve into, like... Like that, and and maybe this could actually heighten sort of Thorin's sense of betrayal. If Thorin sort of 
if Thorne kind of ushers Bilbo in as his confidant and his and his yeah. lieutenant, if he says like, you know, all right, you know, yeah, we should trust Bilbo. And hey, Bilbo, what do you think? And then Bilbo starts defying him late late in the film or early next film, then Thorne will probably be even more. He'll feel even more betrayed because he di- because he did it to himself. He invited this this right. um, um this guy in. So, right. I right. think that's what yeah. I'm leaning toward. I, th- I think that's what I sort of, if I was going to gamble, that's what I would say. Well, and you're certainly right that the the reconciliation on Thorin's deathbed, if indeed that's how it's going to happen in the film, the reconciliation in Thorin's, <laughs> Thorin's deathbed is going to lose a lot of its power if they do not have a really solid relationship first. Um, you wouldn't want Bilbo and Thorin on his deathbed to be like, Hey, now we're finally friends. <laughs> you know, um, we've had a rough relationship, but for now on, for like you know the next five minutes, we're going to be really close. Finally, that would not be nearly so powerful as uh, um, as actually establishing a relationship between them. So I do agree with you that I think that in order for the ending to have the emotional power that it that I think it should have. Um, the t- we are going to need to to have more than just one brief man hug on the Carrick. Yeah, um, that's kind of so, what I'm leaning toward. Yeah, I think, and I I think that will be, um, I think that will that will lead to a more effective Sorry. confrontation, and I think, and I think that'll make for a, just a more fun movie. I think we we'd like to enjoy some bromance for a while, you know. Come on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> my my big question is will it stay a bromance all the way through movie two or will we start to get some cracks showing toward the end of the second movie yeah i, I think that's you know because if we if we stay with the romance all the way through you know then it's it, it we don't have a whole lot to develop the, the 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 break you know in movie three i'm i'm just i i agree with you i think we do have to have them get closer and closer and closer but i'm just wondering if we aren't going to start to see some some cracks maybe starting in lake town well, okay. So here, here's here's here here would be my question then. What would be the minimum required uh, uh, amount of time we would need for establishing a satisfactory bromance? Um, could we do? Could we have like? We need like you know, a bromance uh, expert to have on the show. Exactly. Right. Uh, oh, so when Bilbo and Thorin look back at the end, are there any teenage know, girls listening to this podcast? <laughs> Bilbo and Thorin look back at the end. You know, they'll be able to say, "We all, we'll always have the Carrick, right?" But, but, but clearly, they're going to need more than that. Um, Bjorn, okay, we got the Bjorn sequence. We got. So, could they look back and say, "Well, we'll always have Mirkwood, right?" Okay, we could do that. Um, if we get Bilbo and Thorin, you know, like side side by side. Um, you know the the wacky odd couple of Thorin and Bilbo um, uh, bonding together as they run away from bears and perhaps cross magical streams and uh, fight off spiders, presumably. Um, that would seem a a a a a certainly easily permit- permissible amount of uh, positive bromance before things start to turn a corner. Um, either in the Elven King's Hall or maybe in Lake Down, um, and uh, and 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 enable things to sort of start moving in the other direction before the end of the film. Um, that could work, 
or would you think it would need to be? Do you think it would need to go all the way to Lake Town? See, the the Elven King's Hall is what I keep coming back to and wondering about. Yeah. Because I think Thorin's seems Thorin's, like a natural joint. Yes, Thorin's bitter anti-elf thing. I just have a hard time seeing Bilbo being totally okay with that. I think that, uh, I think that Thorin is doomed to be at least somewhat irrational about Thranduil and the elves, and it seems to me that Bilbo is much less likely to be irrational about the elves, and much more likely to be um, trying to persuade Thorin, at least, like, dude, you're totally overreacting, you got to get a grip about this, and Thorin not wanting to hear that. Um, so, that's why it's a little hard for me to imagine... Yeah, that's, that actually is a good... Yeah. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard for me to imagine Bilbo and Thorin leaving the Elven King's halls. You know, still skipping down the path with their arms linked. Um, but maybe, maybe, um, and I'm not sure what would. I'm not sure what would divide them. If the if the, if if the if the Wood Elves don't divide them, that is, if opinions about the Wood Elves don't divide them, what exactly would divide them in Lake Town? Um, I don't know. It, you know, one possibility. One possibility is that 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 um the uh, the elf stuff divides them, but but it doesn't boil over until Lake Town. Maybe maybe there's some other little trivial thing that Bilbo does to anger Thorin, and then that's when all of the the elf disagreements um come to the surface. Because the one issue I have with the elf thing, on the one hand, I completely agree with you. It seems like the most natural first place to drive a wedge between them. My concern is that, that we're going to be getting this scene within the first quarter to a third of the film, which doesn't yeah. give much time for the for the um, honeymoon period between Bilbo and Thorin. I, I could be wrong about that. I mean, they they they, you know, like. The, the first film definitely demonstrated that they're perfectly willing to get off to a nice slow start. <laughs> <laughs> well, if they're getting chased by bears within the first 15 minutes, it looks like it's probably not going to be quite so leisurely as the beginning of film one. Yeah, you, um, good, good point. Um, <laughs> but, 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 but yeah, no, I, I, I do agree. Um, and the sequence with the spiders has got to take some time. Yeah. Especially if, and as I, you know, as I mean, I remember... Well, you know that with the whole thing with them carrying Bomber, apparently the enchanted stream or something like it is going to happen. So, um, so anyway, but, but, but I do agree. Anyway, sorry, Trish, go ahead. Well, you, you know, the, well, the other thing we don't know is how long is the trip from where we see them in the boats, you know, at the Lonely Mountain up to the secret door going to take? I mean, we know they go by and see Dale, right? Um, yeah. There could be time during that trek for there to become, and also we're getting closer to the mountain, closer to the effects of the horde uh, on Thorin. I mean, maybe we don't see anything start to crack until that trip from the boat up to the secret door. Yeah, I, I mean, I this I could see. That seems to me the second most likely thing. Um, if if they don't start falling out over the elves, I would think the next most likely thing would be things would still be pretty much fine until they start approaching the Lonely Mountain. Thorin starts getting obsessive and like starts to starts to come off the rails and um, and things with. Bilbo start to get 
start to get shaky at that point. Um, and you know, I mean, Thor we've seen that scene where Thorne stomps on the on the key before it goes over the edge. For all we know, it might be Bilbo that accidentally dropped the keys. <laughs> so right. I mean, exactly. that could you know, that could be a pretty you know combative moment actually in the movie. Right. And and also don't forget another very prominent scene in the book that we haven't mentioned as far as Thorin and Bilbo are concerned, but which is pretty revealing about the status of Thorin and Bilbo's relationship is in the book, Thorin sends Bilbo down and delivers that which mocks, you know, uh, uh, mocks his tone and style in delivering it afterwards. Um, if Bilbo and you know, if 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 Bilbo and Thorin are like BFFs by the good idea, how about you go by yourself and confront the dragon? Um, you know, in the book that works fine because uh, you know they're not BFFs. Uh, Corey, you know, uh, Corey, you cut out a little bit there. I don't know if it was just me uh, or if the other listeners heard, but you want to just say that again, just in case. Which starting when? Uh, so like a minute ago. There's minute there's ago? like a weird like popping noise coming. Um, um I think oh. it's coming from you, uh, not from Trish, because it. It's... There's a lot of static. I, okay. I thought it was on my end. I, yeah. Trish is hearing it too. Other people. Sorry about. All right. Uh oh. <laughs> You're still getting it? Yes. No. What? <laughs> Ah, just when we're getting it's almost the... like your connection, your mic connection is. Uh... I know this is terrible. It's like the you know the 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 big moment, the big reveal. The universe doesn't <laughs> want us to, to to to. They're trying to stop us. Yeah, let's see. Um... Yeah. Okay. okay, you sound better uh, now. I, I don't hear any static. Yeah, now. I think we're I think we're fixed. Is it okay? Okay. Yes. Yes. I didn't just really... don't move. Whatever where, okay. whatever position you're in, Corey, <laughs> don't move. All right, all right, I won't move. Okay. A big moment that we haven't really, that we, that, all right, I'll come in again. A big moment that we haven't really talked about from the book where we, that is, you know, really important for Thorin and Bilbo's relationship is the scene when Thorin sends Bilbo down uh, the tunnel after the secret door opens. And in the book, of course, you know, Thorin gets all pompous and delivers himself of one of his great high-style Thorin speeches um, about how it's time for Bilbo to earn his reward. And Bilbo actually teases him for that. I mean, he actually mocks his style and gets a little bit irritated by it, essentially saying, look, I thought we were past this. I thought we, you know, I didn't think that we were employer and employee anymore. You know, I thought that that I and you guys, the dwarves, not Thorin personally, but him and the dwarves were, were a little bit more than just, uh, than just uh, you know, uh, employer and employee at this point. So, uh, but anyway, fine, I, I will go. If Thorin and Bilbo are in the film, you know, BFFs by this time, it's going to be a little bit awkward to, you know, for Thorin to be saying, okay, um, Bilbo, I've got a great idea. Why don't you go down? It's time for you to earn your reward. This is what we're paying you for. So do your job and go down and explore and confront the dragon by yourself. Um, it's hard for, it's hard to see that happening in exactly that way. And I wonder how that's, you know, thinking about, um, you know, Thorin's character changing or, um, you know, tension growing when they're on the mountain. Um, I, you know, I, I, I'll be very interested to see how that scene works. Um, one way around it in the film would be simply just to have it be Bilbo's entire idea. 
um, you know, if Bilbo simply volunteers, which of course gets back interestingly to the question we were discussing in the last episode, which is are the dwarves going to know about the ring at that point or not? Um, because if they don't know about the ring, uh, Bilbo, volunteer, Bilbo might volunteer just to cover up the fact that he can use the ring. But anyway, um, so, uh, uh, so I don't know. I, 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 I will be interested to see how that particular moment plays because it's a prominent moment in Bilbo and Thorin's relationship in the book. Hmm. Interesting. This um, is a really interesting one. I mean, this is a lot more interesting than I expected it to be <laughs> in terms of all the different possibilities. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, let's... let's. You shouldn't be surprised. Um, all I personally think a lot of our best episodes have been on uh, character stuff. I think yeah, first first yeah. first season, um, uh, a lot of the most interesting discussions that we had and the mo- the things that we got the most interesting feedback on were regarding like character characterization. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That's true. Yeah. Well, let's let's go. You know, our our riddle is about this. Uh, you know, sort of the break or the potential break between Thorin and Bilbo. Um, so let's go ahead and, and articulate our riddle so that we can talk more explicitly about the options. We've already been kind of talking around it a little bit. Um, and the question is, by the end of the film, by the end of film two, um, what is Thorin's attitude towards Bilbo? So option A is the book answer. Dave, did you, you wrote that down, right? Could you, could you read the options? I can. Um, so, Riddle, what is Thorne's attitude toward Bilbo uh, by the end of uh, The Hobbit Desolation of Smaug? Option A, ever-increasing trust. And this is a, this is a what we're calling a gradient question, um, right. a gradient right. type of riddle. Uh, so, that, so they sort of – they, they lie along a spectrum, and they are um, monotonically increasing in terms of hostility <laughs> from A to D. That's right. So A is ever-increasing trust and dependence upon his judgment. This is the book answer because um, in the book, obviously, we don't have the sort of the bromance hug um, after the the rescue from the uh, rescue from the um, the pursuing orcs since there's no pursuing orcs. So um, so 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 in the book, we're still kind of developing Bil- the Bilbo Thorin thing and and Bilbo's like um, uh, abilities and the dwarves' trust of him at this point. So so A is kind of a so A A you know there's more maybe more room for growth, but still we could imagine that the book might still follow that general trajectory. So A is ever increasing trust and dependence upon his judgment. Book answer. B is private suspicions and tension between them. So. Um, maybe what we see is uh, uh, Bilbo is not on board with the elf hating, but they don't come to blows over it. We just get like a resentful look from Thor- a comment and a resentful look from Thorin, but a, you know, let's move on. Or maybe d- down in the dungeon, Bilbo is a little Bilbo like they're discussing a plan and Thorin's making a suggestion, and maybe Bilbo's getting a little uppity and he like runs roughshod over Thorin and says, "No, no, we're doing it this way." And maybe Thorin acquiesces, but you know gives him kind of a baleful look or something through his bars. I think that would be sort of B, right? 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. C is open resistance to Bobo and his ideas, but not quite outright hostility. So we start, we just start seeing them regularly disagreeing about everything and, and never on the same page. But he isn't yet, you know, um, threatening bodily harm to Bilbo. And then D is outright hostility, rapidly approaching descendant of rats and throwing him down from the walls. So, so this, this means that by the end of the second film, we've reached the point that he's at in the book after Bilbo steals the Arkenstone. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be like absolutely doesn't have to, yeah. you know, violence but it's, against Bilbo. But it's well on its way toward that, right? Yes, yes. Open hostility. You know, like it's clear that things are in a bad place yeah. with Thorin and Bilbo. And because um, so, yeah. obviously yeah. it's not going to there's no way it's going to reach the point that it's at after the, the Arkenstone incident. But what I guess what we could say is that what D what D really means is that the on screen dynamics make it plainly obvious to people who haven't read the book that Bilbo and Thorin are heading for a confrontation. Yeah. Yeah, B and C could kind of just sort of say like you know, hey, they're having some, they're having some, some, there's some troubles in paradise. But D is like you know, wow, uh, we see something coming, even if we haven't read the book. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Now here's an extreme D answer. Uh oh. Um, I could imagine. I'm just gonna throw this out there. I could imagine that. I could imagine Thorne actually kicking Bilbo out even prior to the Arkenstone incident, or even film two ending with Bilbo getting kicked out by Thorin and told to leave the company, that he's not welcome anymore. Um, I could imagine this happening. Um, so that would, that would be, to me, sort of like the extreme version of, uh, of, of D. Hmm. I don't know. You've um, you've made us speechless. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I, well, you know, you kind of touched on that before we started the show today, and you know, I, it, it is. It would be a very dramatic ending. But I, but the thing is, I'm thinking that the kicking out from the company would be post um, uh, Arkenstone blow up. I mean, it just seems to me like that would be more likely, which which I think would be in movie three. Um. Uh, yeah, possibly. Though, you know, I don't know. I could see it. Uh, to imagine, well, I mean, this is this is really, this is a topic that we'll discuss much more fully, of course, when we talk about film three. But how the handing over the Arkansas is going to be handled, it is not at all obvious to me that in the film it's going to work like it does in the book. So I'm expecting some significant differences in the Arkenstone handing over and its aftermath. Um, and so I could imagine a sequence where um, Bilbo already has the Arkenstone and is kicked out by Thorin. And then when next he confronts Thorin, um, it is after it has been revealed. So basically Thorin kicks Bilbo out, but without knowing that he has the Arkenstone. Mm-hmm. Um, and that Bilbo takes the Arkenstone with him and decides to hand it over um, and maybe even like to come, you know, not not to be returning there, but to be coming as like an embassy essentially, back to back to Thorin. Um, uh, right, and, right. And that's where yeah, like the descendant of rats confrontation occurs. Right. This I could see. 
Okay. Well, that's yeah. You you know, I that's that's believable. But I don't know. So what do you guys? Hmm. Think? What would you vote? I think hmm. uh, Sharon is asking, have we decided where the second movie ends? Not specifically, though. We've been for some weeks. We, we still have to do a show on that one, don't we? Yeah, we haven't done our show on that one. But we've been. We seem to have been operating under the general understanding that the second film is going to come in the general neighborhood of the death of Smaug. Um, whether the death of Smaug occurs in the second film or not. Um, obviously, Bilbo in the mountain confronting Spaug happens because it's in the trailer. So, um, so to me, the only real question, as far as the Lonely Mountain plot is concerned, is whether or not the death of Smaug happens in film two or not. But either, so I, I would think it seems relatively clear the death of Smaug has to be either at the end of the second film or the beginning of the third. And um, so, you know, that area is kind of what what we're thinking. But in either case it seems to me likely that it's going to be pre, um, pre-handing over of Arkenstone. So that, I think, is going to be a specifically Film 3 issue. But um, anyway, anyway. Um, let's see. Oh, so I'm still tending on. toward probably closer to... S- Oh, does he? Oh, gosh. Oh, yeah, well, see, I was going to say the same thing as Pete, which is a C, you know, that I still kind of maintain that I think with Dave, you know, as Dave said earlier, I think we need to keep kind of the bromance alive for a good portion of movie too, but I think some cracks need to be uh, obvious to us. I mean, more obvious than just tensions and suspicions. So I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to go on record. I'm going to step out and go with C, that we do see that Thorin, you know, it's really obvious to us that Thorin's starting to have some serious problems with Bilbo, but we haven't gotten all the way to open hostility. Right. We'll get, like, squabbling, but not anger and resentment. Anger and resentment. Yeah, I think Right. And, and baleful looks, you know, that baleful look, that baleful look he gives, uh, you know, that one where he looks up from under his brows, like the one we see him at, getting friendly. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> Yeah, if Thorne is looking at you like he looks at Thranduil, that's a bad sign. Yes, yes, definitely. Hmm. Um, <laughs> so we may see more of it. So I'm going with C. And I'm, okay. now I feel so relieved. I've made my decision. <laughs> Sharon has an interesting point. Sharon says, uh, I don't think it would be a good trilogy, uh, it, would, it would be good trilogy movie sense to have the gang broken up between movies. I think the final rending of the group and its repair will need to occur within one film. Um, possibly so. I mean, I think that, that the parallel that, uh, who was it, Rachel, um, was uh, making a few minutes ago um, about you know, kicking Bilbo out being kind of like Frodo telling Sam to go home um, in uh, in that horrifying moment um, <laughs> in The Return of the King. Um, I, I agree that it could kind of function like that, but I agree, you know, sort of thinking, sort of combining Sharon and Rachel's points, one can hardly imagine a movie break coming between those things, you know, having Frodo and Sam break up as they inexplicably do in the, in, uh, in, in that film, but then breaking the films there and like have them not reconciled again until, until the following film. Um, that would have been very, very jarring and very difficult, even more jarring than, than it was. Um, but, uh, 
So, By the way, I do want to acknowledge that Pete and Rachel actually came up with that at the same time. So I didn't want oh, yeah? Pete to feel left out that he wasn't getting oh, acknowledged. Right. <laughs> oh right, yes, yeah, exactly. No, I, you're right. I I overlooked that in exactly the same minute. They did make that same comment. Good point. Uh, thanks for th- thanks for pointing that out. Um, yeah, yeah. So, okay, yeah. So Rachel is is also agreeing with Sharon's point, thinking that it would have to be in film three with hints of coming disaster in film two. Um, so, so I, I, I would take it then, Sharon and Rachel, that both of you are making arguments um, basically against D, that there will not be open hostility, that will, there will not be any kind of a real, bre- a real breach, whether or not Bilbo actually is you know, kicked out uh, of the company or not, that there won't be any actual schism uh, during film two. Okay, okay. Um, did, you see, um, did you see Brianna's comment? About sort of uh, the the parallel between this and the handling of Gollum between films oh, two and three. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, she says that the Zerdil is making me think of how they handled Gollum in film two and three. They had Smeagol succeeding in breaking from Gollum and coming to be on good terms with Frodo, but in the last moments, Gollum resurfaces uh, and is set up for his character arc in film three. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Um, the hard thing is that although I've kind of at times made Thorin sound like he has multiple personalities, there isn't that same, there isn't the same kind of internal dynamic as there was with Gollum um, in any of these characters. So I'm having a little bit of a harder time with the parallel exactly. Um, because yeah, what we get yeah, well, thinking about the Gollum-Frodo relationship what we get at the end of the two towers yeah. is, I mean, certainly, you know, there we get Frodo. I mean, th- that, I guess that's what I would be thinking about most is the relationship between Frodo and Gollum in, throughout the two towers from the beginning um, when, you know, Frodo has pity on him and then we see him having more and more empathy with Gollum and that touching scene in the Dead Marshes when he, you know, uh, reveals that he knows Smeagol's name and Smeagol's really touched by this and this seems to stir positive thoughts in Smeagol and and then we get the tragic misunderstanding, uh, you know, when they're captured by Faramir, and then, uh, you know, the 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 resentment and the 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 reascendancy of the of the of the Gollum, you know, of the stinker at the end, uh, and the clear foreshadowings of the betrayal to come um, at at the end. So, I mean, in that sense, I think that we can see a similar, possibly a similar kind of arc, um, and I wonder whether they would do, you know. What that, you know, Brianna, what that parallel makes me wonder is if they would do a similar thing, if, is if they would have any kind of a tragic misunderstanding um, fuel uh, the tension um, or foreshadow the, the break among them at the end. You could see them doing the Arkenstone thing that way, couldn't you? Um, having some kind of, not just Bilbo saying, okay, Thorin, I'm staging an intervention here. Like, you have gone over the edge. I'm taking things into my own hands. Um, you know, you're wrong, and uh, and I'm just doing this because, uh, uh, you know, you need help. Um, and instead, having there being some kind of some kind of misunderstanding, have there be that element, because it's one of the really powerful things of the Gollum depiction in the two towers is that moment of tragedy where he feels like he's been betrayed by Frodo. 
Um, and Frodo hasn't betrayed him, but Gollum feels like he's been betrayed. And so when he goes back to being Gollum, he goes back to being Gollum, you know, sort of tragically not for a good reason or not, you know, for, for uh, just due to a misunderstanding. Um, and uh, I wonder if there will be any of that kind of tragic misunderstanding element. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Uh, that's huh. Good, good observation, Corey. Yeah, you, you have them every once in a while. <laughs> you know, I try every now and again. I also, um, I, I'll be honest with you. Thinking about that is really leading me to lean towards an A or B answer. Um, I, I increasingly like. I, I know I originally said that I thought it, that it probably would be weird if um, they didn't lay the seeds of their disagreement and hostility before the the big betrayal scene but but I'm kind of I'm going back on that a little bit I actually I'm I'm more and more thinking that I think that scene will be more powerful if if it really is a personal betrayal like if 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 Thorin's not just angry that Bilbo has stolen the Arkenstone and and stuff um, but that he is in fact that he's hurt so right. I, right. I I I don't know whether A whether it could be A but but I'm certainly I'm going to I'm going to pick A or B. It's just a matter of choosing between them for me. Yeah, Yana has already gone on record with A actually. Ooh. Good yeah. job. Yeah. yeah, he says uh I think uh I think the moment will be way more powerful if it's out of the blue at least for Thorin. Um so yeah, so he's thinking sort of exactly in the same directions that you are um yeah, and he says now he's getting more sure every second that it will be A. Dave, you are talking, you are you are confirming Yana in his uh, in his vote there. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Rachel opposes, however, by saying Thorin is already a bit on edge, obsessed with getting his kingdom back, and unreasonably hostile towards the elves. The dragon sickness will be the undoing of it. Um, so. Yeah, I mean th that's my biggest fear. My biggest resistance against A is is, is just as Rachel's saying, Thorin's already too touchy. Um, it's hard for me to see Thorin getting this like you know. That's true. He's already disingenuous... he's already gone at Gandalf, hasn't he? Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's if if, if anything, Thorin film Thorin seems more inclined to snap at everybody, um, and more likely and 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 you know more ready just to snap in general at any time. True. Um, so it's kind of hard Bilbo for him be to be like, that. I am blithely tripping through the daisies with Bilbo, and I never suspect a thing. Um, I, I, th th this Thorin doesn't seem to play that way. So I'd be surprised about that. Plus, Gil Gandalf is gone now, so he doesn't have any. You know, he doesn't have Gandalf to to, to you know to beat up on now. So exactly. you know, Bilbo would be the next logical one for him to. <laughs> Yeah, and that's actually another way to think about it, which we didn't even, which we didn't even suggest before. Is 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 could Bilbo essentially step into that Gandalf role? Gandalf has been the one who's been, if anything, the rival of Thorin, um, you know. And uh, is you could see Gandalf and Thorin, or Bilbo and Thorin's relationship progressing in a well, you know, now that Killjoy threatening wizard isn't around anymore we can carry on with things and become friends or you could see Bilbo basically taking over the role of Gandalf um, in Thorin's mind anyway and now being the one so now now that Gandalf is gone Bilbo's the biggest pain in the neck um, to, to Thorin or the biggest threat to Thorin 
one could I I could I could I, I could also imagine that. But let's see. I got to get closer to committing here because I'm not quite sure. She I'm was, I think going with all B. four. I think all B. B. Yeah, you, I think all you've four convinced me not to pick possible. Okay. Okay. All right. So 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 Dave says B. We're gonna get tensions. We're gonna get. Uh, we're gonna get. We're gonna get looks. We're gonna get. Uh, uh, you know, sort of meaningful uh, looks. Meaningful looks and maybe grumbling, but we're not gonna get. Yeah. Uh, we're not gonna get fights. Trish thinks we're gonna get arguments, but not hostility. You know, not. Uh, uh, not anger uh, and distrust. Yana but, thinks uh, things will be peachy keen. Yeah, Yana thinks everything is gonna be just beautiful. Um. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm tempted to go with D out of sheer perversity. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, this usually happens when I vote last. Um, uh, <laughs> we need to keep that in mind, Dave. We need to make Gory go first. <laughs> Yeah. Well, no. I mean, if 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 if, if you want to push me into saying something extreme and unreasonable, then uh, you should make me go last. Uh, Have me go last. Definitely, <laughs> how it's most likely to happen. Well, you made some good cases for D, though, Corey. I mean, when we were first putting this together, I was thinking that was like the the you know the the like give me you know we have to fill something in kind of answer, but it won't be mm-hmm. you know it'll be so not not right. But you made some good arguments for D as a possibility. Yeah, see, now Trish is trying to bait me into giving the extreme and unlikely answer. Uh, let's see. Um, That's right. I'm encouraging <laughs> you. <laughs> yes. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. <laughs> I got to say, I think things are going to be at least C. I'm debating between C and D uh, because I think that Bilbo is going to be more outspoken than that. I think there's going to be arguments. I think um, it's hard for me to see the two of them not really disagreeing. And even, I think that as Bilbo has increasingly developed, I mean, one one thing that does happen in film one is that Bilbo develops a spine as the film goes on. And the moment when he confronts them at the end is a pretty gutsy moment on Bilbo's part. That is, you know, when he, when he, you know, when he gives him the speech, the pre-Azog at the Burning Trees speech, um, you know, the like, you know, I get it. I know that you guys have never accepted me. Like, whatever, that's fine. Uh, but here's where I stand. That kind of outspokenness on Bilbo's part um, is something that he has grown into as a character over the course of the first film. And I don't see that receding. If anything, I see it increasing. Um, and so at the end of the day, I cannot imagine Bilbo not coming to the place where he says, um, Thorne, I got to tell you, you are going bye-bye right now. Like, you are completely, um, you're, to- you're totally beyond the reach of reason when it comes to wood elves. Uh, you are starting to become obsessed. I, I-, I think that if anyone... If anyone is going to speak truth to power where Thorin is concerned in film two, it's going to be either Bilbo or Thor or, or, or Balin or both. And um, Balin, I think, is more likely than Bilbo to err on the side of devotion and not say anything because he doesn't want to hurt Thorin's feelings or because he doesn't want to um, 
or because he's like basically trying to think the best of Thorin and is giving him too much of the benefit of the doubt. Bilbo, I don't think, is going to do that. So I do see Bilbo, although I do think that, uh, that Dave, you're right, that we do need to really establish their relationship firmly, their friendship firmly, so that there can be something to reconcile when we get to the end. I think that Bilbo's going to be outspoken. So therefore, I think that that, in my mind, means C is going to happen. It's the question of whether or not we cross the line into D and things get hostile. And I guess in the end, I am convinced by Rachel and Sharon that that's likely to be premature by the end of film two. Um, but that we're going to be on the threshold of that. Um, and that tensions might be... I would expect things to be on the brink of hostility, but probably still, the fellowship is probably still not going to break, um, to use Lord of the Rings, to use Lord of the Rings language. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen at the end of the second film, um, though I could imagine it. I don't, I don't expect it. So, I'm going to say C. In the end, I'm agreeing with Trish. So there we go. Big mistake. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I know, really. I was going to say, geez, Louise. Um, listen, Rachel, maybe Dave can answer this. Rachel wants to uh, get a, a reading on the difference between B and C. Dave, what yeah. is that to you, the difference between B and C? Uh... <laughs> or maybe Corey knows. I think it's subtle and probably the judges are going to end up making a judgment call on this. But uh, I would say that, that B is B is sort of... A A is A is there is no detectable disagreement or tension between them. As far as we can tell, things are hunky dory. C is there is um um irrefutable on screen evidence of disagreement in the form of them disagreeing, arguing, yeah. um uh, bad feelings. Openly speaking against each other. Yes, yes. B is not, not 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 hating each other, not not being angry, yeah. not you know I'm taking my ball and going right. home, but right. but you know, openly speaking against each other in council. Yeah. Um, B uh, is more arguing. I would say B is more along the lines of of uh, somewhere between those. It's approximating between those. It's not quite. It, it it's it's fairly obvious that things are not all all hunky dory. Um, uh, but. But we're not yet at the Some point grumbling, where they're, maybe. they still appear to be roughly on the same page, or or at least right. um, or at least sort of tolerating one another. So so maybe Bill maybe maybe it's clear that Thorin maybe Bilbo rolls his eyes behind Thorin's back. Yeah, right? or vice versa. It, it, Thorin's <laughs> not versa. Thorin's uh, Bilbo clearly disapproves of Thorin's um, um, uh, confrontation with the Elven King, but doesn't say or do anything about it. Thorin's not fully on board with Bilbo's plan for helping them escape but but acquiesces and goes along with it doesn't resist right there's there are no arguments in either case yeah. but there's tension there's detectable tension yeah. you know we can see that uh bilbo's not comfortable we can see that thorn is getting resentful yeah um maybe even like some exchange perhaps like between thorn and balin where um you know we where where we can see thorn's irritation and uh, uh, and and sort of developing discomfort or distrust of Bilbo, but it's not reached the point where they're 
openly speaking against each other, where so, they're arguing, where they're getting into verbal, you know, confrontations. Yeah. Sharon says, if Thorne gives an audible back off, I'm the leader command. That would be C. I I would say yes. that's C. Definitely C. Yeah. Um, B would yes, be more. C. B would be more Thorne grumbling under his breath after after acquiescing to Bilbo's plan. Yes. Yes. Um. Yep. Yep. Um. Yeah, I would expect B to manifest itself in a lot of, like, significant looks. I mean, there were many times in film one where Richard Armitage did a good job, as Martin Freeman did a good job, of sort of showing us what is going on inside the character without verbal, without a verbal component, you know. And I would expect that to be largely what would be happening if B happens in the film. Or or also I'm thinking it could be an aside, you know, like Thorne saying to Balin, you know that Hobbit's getting a little big for his britches, or right. Bilbo saying to right. Beaufort, what's you know, what's going on with her? That would also be B in my mind, because there's not direct confrontation between the two of them. Yeah. Yeah, now, Brianna makes a good point, and she says this riddle feels very dependent on just how far film two is going to go in the story, just how much dragonness we are going to get uh, to start shifting towards dragon Yeah, that's story, true. Which is probably why I'm hesitant about nailing down my answer. I agree. Um, it, it is tricky. I mean, if this film were to go, you know, all the way through, you know, the Arkenstone, and not the giving over of the Arkenstone, I wouldn't think. That I can't imagine happens in film two. But, um, you know, if we get all the way to the dwarves in possession of the Horde and Thorin obsessing about the Arkenstone, obviously that puts things in a, on a very different footing than if we're ending with, you know, them on the side of the mountain before Smaug is dead. So I, 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 I agree that, that that is, you know... But sort of implicit I, in your answer in this, to some extent, is is your sense of where it's I, going. I don't, I don't know that that's true. I mean, we know, we know, we have to head toward that. I mean, we know we're heading toward that. I mean, anybody, I mean, just even if, if you haven't even seen the movie, you know, I mean, the book, we know we're heading toward that. I think, as you mentioned earlier, Thorne's already got enough, you know, issues, psychological issues, without worrying about dragon sickness to make this a viable riddle, even without, you know, knowing if, how far we're getting as far as dragon right. sickness goes. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I mean, I think it is. I I kind about. of agree. Like on the one hand, I I agree in general with Brianna that like it it is sort of dependent on how far we get in the story. But I actually don't think that. Um, I think that I think the major joints uh, in this in this character arc, like the Elven King's dungeons, Lake Town, um, uh, the the Arkenstone. I think are really the main ones. You could argue that like Bilbo sneaking down into the 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 um, being compelled to sneak down into the Lonely Mountain in, in the treasure room to try and steal something is is a point in this. But I don't think it's. I think the major things that could really drastically shift the dynamic. I think we know for a fact that they are or are not in this film. There's no way they're getting to the Arkenstones, the real the the meaty Arkenstone stuff. Maybe Bilbo will find it, but there's no way that that um uh, that Thorn will find out yet and the other stuff the the elven king's dungeons lake town and stuff we know for a fact that's in the film so so actually i think it does depend on how far we get but i don't think there's any chance i don't think there's anything any major thorn bilbo changing uh event that we that we're in doubt about whether we'll get to it 
I suspect that's true. Because again, the, really, the thing would be the Arkenstone, and as I said, I, I, I would be shocked if we got yeah. so far as. Now, I would not be shocked if we get to the theft of the Arkenstone, but I would be shocked if we really made a big deal of the Arkenstone yet. And yeah, I agree. Um, and we can talk about that more uh, later on. I think we, we should do another episode on that. Yeah, yeah. But right. but anyway. Hey, um, hey I wanted yeah. to give an aside here. Um, Carissa just shared with us that her eight-year-old heard her listening to this podcast and immediately had the great desire to watch the film. So The Hobbit is playing in her house now <laughs> as we speak. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Um, yeah, cool. Cool. So, okay. So yeah, I think I'm, I'm comfortable with that. I think, I think C, C is where, where in the end I'm going. I feel, I feel at peace with this choice. Um, we definitely do need to do an episode. Uh, we haven't really done an episode on Smaug yet. Um, uh, you know, we really need to talk about Smaug and Smaug. No, we haven't. And we need to do an episode on the ending of the movie as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's we're gonna do Smog next time, maybe, and then wait to do the end of the movie after we talk about Smog. Yeah, I think you're right. Right. So, um, so cool. So, so let's um, let's yeah, let's let's think about. I th- I think yeah, let's 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 think about doing that next time. Um, okay. And of course, what we have not had to talk about is any new revelations out of New Zealand, uh, because Comic Con sure went by uh, with a whimper this year. Um, well, I've only got the one. Shall I share the one that I yeah, that can, I shared you with you? The one yeah. you alluded to earlier, yeah. That I alluded to, yeah. Because I mean, if you remember, if you guys remember last year, I, I was like obsessed with Comic Con. I think I was doing you know bulletins on a like five minute basis <laughs> last year on f- Facebook and everything else. Um, well, but the one thing that I did notice in my news feed this year from Comic Con was somebody was at the Weta you know booth, and there was either a I don't know if it was a figure or a or a picture of Bolg. But the caption was a Gundabad orc. It was he was not named as as Bolg, which gives rise to some conjecture um, as to whether Bolg's even going to really be a character now. And if he's not going to be a character, I would recommend everybody get a hold of the p- poster from last year and also the toy set, you know, with Bolg and Gandalf that's still for sale on Amazon because those suckers <laughs> are going to be serious collectibles. <laughs> So yeah, so I mean, it's I, to me now. There's a question of whether Volk's going to even be a character. Well, oh, that's movie. an interesting point. Uh, both about whether he'll be an actual character and about um, how much a, a Bolg poster or figurine will be worth if he <laughs> gets turned into not Bolg. Yeah, that's probably I mean, a more interesting topic, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That, that, uh, that's kind is. of like the um, that's like the first edition Cuckoo's Calling uh, books. Like I know, I know, <laughs> or, I know or. a lot of people who are scrambling now to try and find a copy of that book uh, where where the inside of the where the dust jacket talks about Richard Galbraith instead of J.K. Rowling. I wonder. I heard I heard about multiple instances of reviewers who got review copies of that book and were like, "Yeah, I'm not reading this," and gave it to their local library. I wonder oh, if there's going to be, oh there's gonna be a rash of, uh, a of thefts yeah. from libraries. Right. <laughs> <laughs> of course, in my generation, you know, it's the it's the famous Beatles album cover. You know, the one where they're dressed like butchers and they have meat all you know blood all over them. They got pulled. <laughs> that was the big, you know. Oh, right. if you have a copy of that album. <laughs> um, anyway, so that was the big thing that came, that for me anyway was the high point is this because Dave, you've talked about that before. I mean, I remember in an episode where you said, you know, Azog Bolg is kind of redundant, you know, one or the other, why both? And I thought of that, you know, I think maybe Jackson heard our episode or something and said, oh, you know, <laughs> Dave's right. 
Let's pull poll. You're right. I expect <sighs> to be given credit for this um, at next yeah. year's Comic Con panel. But of course, it 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 really completely destroys my hopes for like this intense Bolg Azog, you know, know. daddy issue uh, dynamic. And the Zomborg, the, the whole Zomborg line will go away now, <sighs> which is a bummer. Now oh, the other thing that we have potential. not talked about, and I don't know, I Yana asked about this, and I said I know I've only watched it once, and I don't know if y'all have seen it yet. Is the extended edition clip that got released? I guess it was yesterday. A conversation between um, Bilbo and Elrond when they're Rivendell, and I haven't brought it up. I mean, I don't know, Corey, if you've even seen it yet. I've only seen I it once, so I don't really, I don't feel prepared to talk about it. So maybe next time, you know, that'll be maybe our homework as the three of us make sure we've seen that clip and we can, we can talk a yeah, little bit. Yeah, well, about of course, it. I'm looking forward to doing, you know, possibly two or three episodes on the extended, oh, on edition, extended itself edition when it comes oh, out. Oh, yeah, that's good be, point. It's going to be fun. Yep. Um, I've already pre ordered my copy. I'm such a fangirl. I, and I personally. I, for the longest time, have been have wanted to do this for Lord of the Rings and think we should for Hobbit. I think a commentary track is in order. Yes. Yes. So that would require us to sit down and watch it continuously. Our own, our own commentary track. Yes. It would become. Wouldn't it be more like Mystery Science Theater three thousand kind of commentary? <laughs> it, it would be. It would be. It would be like that, but maybe slightly more. Like it would be. It would be slightly more. Like it would be. It would show it occasionally with um, insightful comments or trivia. With scholarly insights from yes. from Corey. Okay. <laughs> well, the, the problem is we'd have to. We'd have to keep. I. I you know. If we were doing this spontaneously, we'd have to like keep pausing it, uh, <laughs> because we would want to spend. You know, we we would get a new thirty seconds of material. Oh, I know. And we'd want to talk about it for like fifteen minutes while the movie was continuing to go on. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> that would be kind of tricky, but you know. <laughs> Yana says he wants to hear my first response. Well, you know, actually, we could do that. You know, we could, like, take a pact among us that we actually won't watch it until we watch it together and record Ooh. our reactions as we watch it together. That's a great um, idea. I could get We could actually that. do that. I'm on board for that. For the extended edition we're talking about, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah the yeah. extended edition. When the extended yeah. edition comes out, that, like, at least the three of us and as many of our – as many right. of our as, – as, as many of our our, our our viewers and now would we would we us. would we be allowed pause pause you know like okay hit pause would we do that like you know I mean would we be allowed to no, do that or, or do we, we have could. to like let it go like well, you know, it'd be good discipline for us to let we know we have to let the movie continue and yeah that's true to... and and then we could do further episodes afterwards <laughs> right to talk right more right about the yeah. stuff that yeah. that uh, that that went past otherwise um, we could end up with like a five hour. Oh, oh, five hours. We did three hours on a two-minute trailer for crying out loud. Yep. Five <laughs> hours? <laughs> My goodness. Yeah. <laughs> what would our commentary be on a three-hour film? You know, a three-and-a-half-hour film. Oh, and, and then also on the extended edition, you know, the, the big set, they've got uh, uh, they've got a mini documentary called The Appendices. Which yeah. is very, you know, I mean, that might be also something. That oh we're yeah, have forget to... about it. I mean, yeah, we'll we'll, cause <laughs> we'll have the appendices to the film. We could do. Oh my goodness, yes. We could, oh boy. And the problem is, of course, like we're going to run out of time to talk about the extended edition between the extended edition release and the film two release. And the you know, film, that's we're right. Gonna, that's we're going right. to have barely gotten warmed up talking about the extended edition before the <laughs> the film two comes along. Anyway, we'll we'll see. I think that the. Uh, um, uh, the uh, the the 
the extended edition viewing sounds like fun. I think we should definitely do but that. But I'm in for that. Yes, I'll sign up. I'll, I'll make a promise right now that I will okay. not watch the extended edition until okay. the three of us can, can do it on air. Yeah, and maybe what we could do actually is uh, maybe we could actually do if we don't do you think we'd be permitted to to stream the film live if we don't record it, if we don't release a recording of it? A video recording of it, that is? Um so that we could actually Ooh, like you know cuz that way we could you know like I was doing the clips from the trailer I could stream the film yeah. um and we just have our audio commentary and we could only you know we could just sort of extract from the audio commentary or I don't know anyway do you, th- do you think um do you think um like Han- Hannah or somebody at your publishers could uh, you know do they have the right kind of context to find that out or would we be opening yeah, a can I of worms i i'm personally i personally of the opinion uh that um uh that that just don't ask if you don't want an answer it's, it's better to ask yeah. forgiveness than permission the, yeah. the, the, yeah. the chances if we just do this the chances of people <laughs> realizing what we've done are pretty slim, probably, or that they would care enough to do anything about it. So we might as well just do I'm gonna it. To, and... I'm going to have to edit this out of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, okay. right. yeah, yeah, that's true. This is this is it's the probably the idea. one problem with my assertion is that that we're going on record planning it now. That's right. That's right. <laughs> planning wow. to do to do mischief. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Anyway, well, anyway, we but could, I, yeah, I we think that's a great idea. But Good but luck. if if I'll remind you guys that you know like Giannis, I mean let's try and watch this little clip of him and and uh, Elron talking because I I actually came away with it with the feeling that El, Elron might might have been actually sowing seeds of of you know because he ends with by saying oh you're you know you're welcome to stay here if you want to Bilbo right. and because Bilbo's obviously having doubts and I'm thinking. I wonder if he's trying to undermine Thorin with that, you know, that he's, because right. he talked to Bilbo a bunch about, oh, I know you like home and this kind of thing. So anyway, so I need to watch it again, but but let's, I'll, I'll remember that maybe we start off next time with just a little bit of a talk about this little clip that they released. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, yeah. Yeah, no, we, we could definitely do it. In fact, we could talk, we could, we could do a little viewing and discussion of that clip at the beginning of our next episode if we wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, but okay, anyway, however, we should probably That's a great idea. bring this episode to a merciful close as uh, we've, <laughs> we've passed our two-hour limit now, uh, which is the most patience we can really possibly expect. Uh, really more than we should expect people to have, but uh, certainly it would be... I know our numbers have gone from that. 30 to 25 and the live attendees, yeah. so we're starting yeah. to lose our audience here. Exactly. So uh, anyway, so let's, uh, let's sign off now, um, but uh, we look forward to talking about those clips and talking about Smaug, I think, for the next episode. Yes, and we'll and and we and we should be able to do that uh, round about two weeks from now. So look forward to another hour's warning uh, before the next episode. <laughs> uh, so thanks everybody uh, uh, for joining us again. As always, uh, it's been fun having you in the discussion here, and uh, and we look forward to next time. So thanks for listening, and Godspeed.